Sandy and I, many times during parenting, were overwhelmed. We're not getting this done. It doesn't look good. And you, you worry so much because how they turn out means everything to you. Yeah. So you embrace that. But at the same time, you make it a matter of prayer. And I think having a plan, I've got to follow a clear plan. All the principles are biblical and you will carry the day. There's times when you don't think you will, but you will carry the day. They will turn out okay. Dr. David Clark is with us again today on Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm so glad to have David back with us today. Last time we talked about the challenges and joys of parenting. But sometimes you can feel like you're in a war zone. Mm -hmm. Uh, But with an effective parenting team, as David described last time, uh, you can make it through and thrive. And uh, those things, that parenting team, as he described, includes God, your relationship, with God, along with your church family, coaches, and of course your spouse. And you can raise successful kids, always remembering they they have their own free will, and that's always going to come into it. But we also touched on those basic needs every child has, which we're going to get back into today. We covered love last time, and we're going to get to the other four. David has been a family therapist for over 30 years, and he's been here on the broadcast a number of times. He's got some really great wisdom and insights and uh, some pretty fun ways of delivering those biblical <laughs> truths as well. He's brutally honest. That's the thing. David, welcome back to Focus. Thanks. It's so good. I mean, I love your energy. I love your humor. And it's I connect with it because I problem solve through humor as well. I mean, this life can be so overwhelming. If you don't have a sense of humor about it, it's crushing. Oh, I agree. You have to laugh or you'll be driven crazy. I think so. By your own kids. All right. Um, so we covered these five needs of a child. Let's recap those and we'll get into it again. What are the five? Love. Respect, competence, spirituality, and independence. That is the package. And we hit love, but again, for the listeners joining us, let's touch on that again real quick. What, from a child's perspective, what does love look like? For a child, time equals love, quality time. And I recommend, we didn't touch on this last time, so I'm glad you brought it up, Jim, individual time with each child, also very important. I did a lot of group things. We had four kids, so there was a grouping often. But to identify each child and what they want to do, once every two to three weeks, a couple of hours with each child, mom doing it and dad doing it, is a gold mine. Why is that so important? I think that's an area I may have not um, kept my eye on because having two boys, we did a lot together, yeah. and it was always boy stuff. You know, We'd go yeah. play basketball together, do, yeah. do things together. And I, I do regret not separating that sometimes. I mean, I did some of it, but probably not enough of it. Yeah. It's tough to think of because your time is so tight. And this is an extra, going the extra mile. It's not yeah. every week, maybe. But that for the child that we're, do, we're doing just this, it's just about me. This is all about me. And it gives the opportunity when you're doing an activity with a girl or a boy for some nice things to come out that will not come out if brother or sister are there. Right. And it's true. Usually the one personality, if it's a bit stronger, the other personality or the other person will be kind of quiet. Right? Right. When it's just that child, boy, some things are going to come out. Yeah, it's blossom. One thing I think I did do is uh, Saturday breakfast, we'd maybe go out and get early breakfast at at a restaurant or something like that. That was always fun. Dave, you also mentioned that the counterpart to love is respect. Kind of, it's interesting, you know, I think as parents, we tend to play down the respect for children. We want them to respect us. Mm. That's right. Of course. But respecting a child, what does that look like? Especially for us dads that, you know, we want that respect, but we may not know how to show respect to our kids. It's allowing your child to put some reasonable limits on you. 
What does that look like? Well, in terms of privacy, even when our little girls, of course they were girls, even the girls and William, their room is their room. Now, I own the home. I'm coming in. But I would always knock on the door first out of respect for them. The girls might be dressing or doing something, and girls always make you wait no matter what. They could be actually doing nothing, but they always make you wait. I'll be in a moment, Daddy. Why? I, I know you're probably right. Uh, whatever. It's a woman thing. So I would respect that, and I would not search their room or try to tidy it up. That's their room. That's kind of their fiefdom. That's a respect. Sandy had a problem with that. I have no problem with the room being a mess. Who cares? That's a minor issue of rebellion. We had two kids that were just slobs, absolute slobs. I won't give their names. But we let their rooms were just a, like a hurricane. I would come in and go, where was the bomb? Are you okay? There was a, what do you mean? A bomb went off in this room. Oh, daddy, I can't believe. But I allowed that to happen because it's not that important. Right. It's but how did you form. coach Sandy in accepting I that? had to say, honey, look, this is a healthy form of rebellion. All kids have to rebel or they're not going to break and we become independent. And, and it's a way of respecting them as well. So it's a minor thing. They're sticking it to the man with a messy room. You're the man. And it's like safe. Who cares? It's very easy for them to be taught as they get to be teenagers how to clean a room. Yeah. You can create a monkey to do that. It's not a big deal. One of our daughters, who was the slob, that minute, the day she got a boyfriend, she went to her room and she cleaned it up. It was like a holiday in uh, made. It was, you could eat off the floor. It was spick and span because so-and-so, I can't give the name, we know who it was, is coming over and he's going to maybe she see my She had the room. motivation to do yes, so. Yes, it was a miracle. The boy version of that, having two boys, is the shower. All of a sudden, oh they realize maybe I'd yes. smell better if I showered. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Personal hygiene. Yeah. William was the same way. He started to dating quotes in middle school, and yeah, he started to clean up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and even the room was a little better if the girl was coming over. That is so true. Let me ask you, you mentioned something I'm sure some caught and may have even flinched uh, when it comes to a teenager needing to rebel or a child needing to rebel. Mm for them to find out who they are and discover unpack that a little bit because I, the prodigal story is probably a good example of that, but describe why that's important again for disconnection because most parents, we would want our child to just be perfect. You know, they get great grades. They're polite. They always go to the functions we want them to go to without complaining. And they just, you know, they tow the line. It's not going to be like that, typically. And maybe uh -huh. if it is like that, you're, you're maybe setting up for something down the road that's far worse. But right. why is appropriate rebellion something that a parent should, should actually encourage? Well, it gets it out of their system. If you accept my premise, and you should, because I know what I'm talking about, they have to rebel. There is no avoidance of rebellion. We want to keep the rebellion because that leads to developing who they are, uh, respecting other people, their own identity, and breaking away from you and becoming their own person and who they are. So if that's true, we allow it in the minor areas, the state of their room, what their hair looks like, the clothes they wear, again, within reason, uh, not forcing them to eat, to eat certain foods that everybody hates. I've always hated spinach. I will until the day I die. My mother said, you know what? He doesn't like spinach. No big deal. I'll eat it. I love spinach. Do you? Oh, yes. my goodness. I used to eat everybody's spinach in elementary oh. school. <laughs> Man, that's healthy. Plates of that's it. That's how you oh, get so horrible. big and strong. That's it. Almost Popeye. surpassed by lima beans. I just don't like them. They taste like sawdust. Not going to go there. So if you allow that, see if you, and I've seen this a million times, not in my own kids, thank God, because we allow them to rebel. But with many parents, if you win those minor battles and you can win them, they're going to rebel in the major areas. Yes. Drugs, sex, lying, uh, breaking the law, hanging out with scumball kids. They're, they've got, it's got to go somewhere.
So we just channel it into the healthy things, into the things that really don't make a big deal. David, what role does communication play in showing respect? Uh, you know, I think this is probably one of the biggest issues. Uh, you can have a dirty room. That's okay. You're keeping it. I don't have to sleep in there, so I don't have to smell it or anything like that. I get that. Communication is a little more delicate. How you respect your mom and dad, how we respect you. Uh, speak to that issue of how to create healthy ways uh, that our kids and we as parents should be communicating. Now, it's vitally important, Jim, uh, to build respect. And you listening is so important as a parent. Children <laughs> are just like adults. They want to be understood. Right. When they're yelling the head off and they're illogical and they're so, super emotional, that's hard to do. You want to say, be quiet. You're being disrespectful. We allow a certain amount of disrespect as long as there's an over-the-top, because especially a teenager, once they hit middle school, they're going to be so intense and they're going to have bipolar swings, and they're not bipolar. It looks like it. And you've got to stand there and let them kind of talk it out. It's kind of like a pressure valve, isn't it? it because is. their brain, I mean, they're not fully formed. They're battling hormones and emotions, yeah. and it's just that Right. To let that pressure out a little bit. That's a good way to look at it. It is. And 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 you're going to be convenient. If you're safe and they, and they can do it with you, they can't do it with teachers or their friends or other people, neighbors, they do it with you. If you can allow that within reason, it lets the pressure out. Yeah. And you stage those conversations. You won't even have a response when they're talking. Now, there's some limitations here if they're name-calling, if there's profanity. Okay, so there's limits. Well, you, you will shut that down. But if they can maintain, and even they're angry, and you're just listening, reflecting a bit, and they blow it out, you'll say, okay, I've listened to you. You take a break at that point. They, they actually leave the situation because they're not ready to listen to you anyway. Even though they've calmed down later, 10 minutes, half an hour, you go to their room and say, okay, well, I listened to you and anything more you have to share. And then you can share a response. You have a better chance of having them listen to you. Dave, a lot of the experts now are talking about a parent's ability to not give the lecture. Yeah. And I'm telling you from personal experience, it is hard not to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think Gene and I tag team lecturers. You know, <laughs> you go at it for a minute, then I'll pick it up from there. It just feels so good. Sometimes. I mean, you are just you're just espousing this incredible wisdom. Yeah. I've you not you have not been 17 as a 15 year old. I was 17. I know where you're headed. Ba 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 ba. It's kind of like already... that Charlie Brown. You know, like, <laughs> walk, 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 walk. That's but right. How do we pull back from that, knowing it is not fruitful? No, they've turned you off within seconds of you starting the lecture. They're not even listening. Now, and, why, and, as adults, why do we think it's effective? Well, because it may be effective with another adult, not your spouse, maybe somebody else. And you actually have important information. You know what you're talking about. And so you're actually delivering great information. It's great content. It's the wrong way to do it, the wrong <laughs> method. It's these short, clear bursts, and you have to practice. And I used to allow my kids to catch me in the lecture. My dad used to, he called them mini, mini sermonettes. He would, he would dump on me. And so he allowed me to kind of say, Dad, that's too much. If it, if it was going on, which was a big deal. <laughs> How so, old were you when you said that to your dad? Oh, man, I probably was mid-teen years, okay. maybe 14, 15. My brother was a wonderful guy. Compared to me, Mark's perfect. He's a pastor, Christian uh, teacher, wonderful guy, and more low-key than me. So he and Dad would have these long conversations. He would listen to Dad and take notes. I wasn't like that. I'm more like my mother. My mother's fault, again, <laughs> more expressive and, and kind of volatile. And I don't want to hear a lecture and I want to be independent. So, but let your kid call you on that. If, if, if I'm lecturing you, I don't want to lecture. I want to give you a clear, concise burst of information, two to three minutes, literally set the alarm on your, on your iPhone or whatever, and then it'll be over. They can take that in and then hopefully they'll respond. Well, and then the problem there is if you're going to say, you know, 
help me. Don't let me lecture. And then when they try to do that, you respond emotionally. Well, I'm just right. trying to help you. What are you saying right. that to me for? I we mean, gotta, that, that's gotta, a bad signal. we got to tamp down the emotion. Easier yeah. said than done. And when you blow that, and this happened to me, of course, with my kids, I would be upset, stressful day, whatever, no excuse. And I would snap. It's, honey, I'm sorry. Yeah. Especially the girls were sensitive. Women say, ah, oh, dad, no big deal. The girls were upset. They were emotional. I'm sorry. I went too far. Let's, I'm, would you forgive me? Yes. Let's have a reset. Let's talk about that issue again. And, I, and I'm sorry. I lectured. I got upset. So that's the respect category. Um, let's move to your child's need for competence, to learn competence. In that, it was an interesting story you shared in the book where um, you had, a, I think, a teenager who had parents who were alcoholics, and that taught him a competency. What were you getting at with that? Well, that story was a case where he was at a... I, when I was seeing him, probably in his early 20s at that point, and he had two parents who were alcoholics, both of them rejected him. Mm-hmm. And he was in terrible shape. Somehow they dumped him at my office, and they wanted him to get some help. It may, in fact, have been a grandparent. And I was talking with him. His self-esteem was, was so low. But what happened... And he was actually, he had thought of harming himself at that point because neither parent was happening. It was a teacher in his life, a Christian teacher that uh, recognized his ability to sing and, huh. to, and to have a musical ability that sa- literally saved his life. That competence gave him an identity. It gave him something to kind of cope with his parents' rejection, and it changed his whole life. Wow. He was locally known for, for us being a singer, a Christian singer, and had a band. It was awesome, only because somebody had recognized a competence in him. He wouldn't have made it otherwise. No That's way. a beautiful story of mentoring and oh, look, being on yeah. the lookout for young people who need yeah. help. Yeah. That's Teach, great. And even this, I think teachers will find this parenting very helpful because teachers have a major role to play. They yeah. absolutely do. That was true in my life. David, this, this can be a hard part of the parenting process because if you've got several kids, you've got to figure out where they're good. And sometimes the only way to do that is to find out where they're bad at something, right? right. So you sit through maybe a musical instrument that, just doesn't, I mean, it's, it's not awful. working <laughs> or the sports thing where it's obvious they're not going to be able to plug in there. Give us some encouragement in that area. You tell each child, and I told each of my kids, we, we don't know what your ability is, but you've got one from God himself. Talents and gifts are given to you by God. And it may take a while to find that. And we're going to go until we find it. William was more obvious with the sports thing, had great hand-eye coordination, so that was an easier thing. The girls were trickier, and so it took a little longer to find their abilities. We kept going, and of course the encouragement, well, that didn't work out well. You're very low-key. That's not your thing. That's not my thing either. We're going to find your thing. It might take a year. It might take a year and a half. You're going to find it, and then when they click, you got something going on. So go just another step further. I have a child who wants to be in the NFL. I mean, I think many of us have boys that <laughs> dream about playing oh, William was that professional way. football. Right. Right. The, the truth is they're the runt of the litter and they're never going to make it. <laughs> so how do happen. we encourage them without squashing the dream? You can say, look, that's you have you have some wonderful abilities, you know, that you're okay at that. But yeah, that's probably, and you're very gentle. That's probably not going to happen. Hmm. That's Being a parent's not easy sometimes. You're very gentle with it. Let's go over here. Here are some things you are good at. And for the rest of your life and a career, and I would even tell William, you know what, even if you could make uh, baseball, the major leagues, uh, NFL, that's a very short career. Yeah. It's done and over. Mid-30s at the latest. What are you going to do the rest of your life? Spend the money you make? No. God wants you to have a career, and more importantly, he wants you to serve him. Mm. So we also looked at their talents, their spiritual gifts. And if you can find a kid's spiritual gift uh, while they're in your home, man, even better, because now they got something. And with that competence, you're also looking to develop their faith as a competency. I think you you mentioned that. You talk a lot about, and I think it's great, how your dad modeled faith for you. 
how did he do that practically? Boy, Dad, every morning of my life, Dad would have his quiet time. He knew when I got up every morning, Monday through Friday, to go to school, and he wanted to make sure I saw him in the hallway, actually in the doorway of the family room, yeah. in his rocking chair, had his Bible, had his devotional, and so I would see him every single morning doing that. Mm-hmm. Even on the weekends, depending on when I got up, he would be in the same spot. As an adult, I said, Dad, it was the craziest thing. I would always see you having your quiet time in the morning. What a coincidence. He said, Dave, that was no coincidence. I knew when you got up, and I wanted you to see me doing it. (laughs) Whoa. Dad didn't stop there. He taught me to have my own quiet time. You don't just freelance with that. Well, read the Bible. It's important. He He sat down with me for a week, and we had quiet time together, and he taught me how he did it, how to read the Bible how to pray. Oh, that's good. Uh, you know, how to, how to, uh, you know, wor- even worship God. It was like awesome. It was like a window in my, what my dad ha- was doing. And so that helped me develop it. Yeah. And we had once a week family devotions. Dad never failed on that. When I was a teenager, it was the last thing I wanted to do. Talk about not cool. Are you kidding me? Because I was having some faith issues. We, you know, as long as you're in this home, you're going to church. And I tell parents that. I told my kids that. As long as you're in my home, you're going to church. It's that important, non-negotiable. Oh, but that's going to force them away from God. No, it's not. As soon as they leave home, uh, they can do whatever they want. But that's that's such a high value. Yeah. And kids, if you get the right youth group, they're going to enjoy it, even if they don't admit it. Yeah. So dad would do the family devotions. It was only 20 minutes. It was very simple. It was very practical. We prayed for each other. And of course, he modeled the life of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Me. And that, you know, that's every Christian parent's goal is to launch our kids with a faith that will endure the things that they're right. going to encounter. It's right? the most important thing. When you look now beyond faith, the kind of the practical everyday stuff, what are some good ways to launch your child in that respect when it comes to competency, you know, things you can teach them? Well, in the area of competence, you, you start with whatever they enjoy doing, you push them into those activities. My mother, I always kind of liked baseball, and so my mother, I wanted to be in Little League, and my mother dropped me off the first day of Little League, and I had some second thoughts. "Ah, Mom, I don't think I want to do it. She said, get out of the car. She kicks me out of the car, and she drives off in the station wagon. Harsh woman, harsh. (laughs) But two minutes later, I was having the time of my life. So you you let whatever they enjoy, you push them into competence, and that actually bleeds into independence because this is my thing. This is who I am. This is what I do. And if it's the right scenario, they're they're starting to become independent. That's why youth group and youth activities and missions trips connected to your church are so important. It's tough letting them go to Africa. And Nancy went to Africa one day, but that changed her life. The chance to share Christ and they were so open. So all those things lead to not just spirituality and competence, but independence. Yeah, and that's a great example of a crisis of faith for the parent. You know, oh, having your man. child go on a big trip like I didn't that. want her to go. Sandy yeah. and I disagreed on that. I said, I don't want to send her to Africa. What are you, crazy? She can go to Louisiana or Georgia or here right in town. There's needs here. She said, Dave, I think it's important. We had to go through the thing. <laughs> she wants to go, and it's a big deal, and her friends are going, so that's the difference between boys and girls. Jean and I are the opposite. I'm like, let them go. And she's like, you know what could happen to them? <laughs> that is right. so funny. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, share with us the general strategy you have for the war of discipline. Discipline's the next one. We've covered I, love and competency. Discipline. I have a behavior-based system because that's what God has. This is absolutely Bible-based. There are standards of behavior that you, the reasonable standards of behavior you have for your children. And how they're to act and how they're to behave. It's all, it's, the, here's how we expect you to behave. And you've outlined that in the book. 
Oh yeah, and yeah, it's very clear. And I recommend even putting it down on paper. And some of it's tied to the kids' personalities. Most of it's here are the rules of the home, all of which are biblical, inspired by the Bible. It's really, this is, I'm standing in for God and raising you. Here's what he'd want you to do. I'm yeah. convinced of it. And I can show you in the Bible. Then based on that, you also have reasonable rewards and consequences. If you choose to, and you can choose to do whatever you want from an early age, kids choose. You got nothing to do with it. If you choose to obey, then there are always rewards. And you've chosen to be rewarded, in other words. If you choose to not obey, and that's going to happen too, then you have chosen a consequence, and here's what it is. This is exactly the way that God works with us. Free will. It's not going to force me to do anything. But based on my choices, there are always rewards and consequences. So that's how we raised our kids, and it worked. And they made a lot of bad choices, and, they, and when they have the consequence with very little emotion, you've, in effect, chosen this consequence. No, I didn't. I can't believe. Here it's written down. Isn't that your signature? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and so that's, and it was reasonable, and they learned that that's not really the way I want to live. I think parents of teenagers struggle a lot about what is fair game in terms of consequences. <clears throat> I'm telling you anything except food, water, shelter, and clothing. That means electronics. Everything. Their whole yeah. stinking life is their electronics. We know that. Their phone. Oh, the whole world. No, you've lost that for a day. Ah, oh, my social life is over. I'll have no friends. You know what? I'm surprised you have friends now. You're so mean. But you take the phone. Okay, and, but they've made the choice. Right. I used to tell my kids, you never have to lose anything. All the things you can earn every day. But if you make that choice, then you've chosen to lose that. So the phone, the electronics, the TV, unless the phone's used for homework, it's gone. Once they start driving, you will take the car from them. And the best thing in the world for us, we would drive our kids to school. We'd have Christian hymns playing as we drove up with the windows down. Oh, it's the worst thing for a teenager. <laughs> no, goodbye, Susie. M Mommy loves you. Ah, the worst thing in the world. Um, food, special snacks. Now, you'd feed them the, the vegetables and the basic meals, but snacks of all kinds can be used. How about More. social things, too? Like oh, yeah. shut off the social uh, engagement opportunities. Exactly. All the social media, got, you're going dark. No, my life, your choice. <laughs> Only a day. A day means a lot to them. And even though we're limiting screen time, and that's covered in the book, too, technology is a big deal. Any kind of uh, time, with an act, if they have an extracurricular activity, a sport, an activity, a martial art, uh, dancing, uh, music lessons, on the table. Yeah. You will take it from them. Well, we've hit the love and the, and the competence and spirituality. We work that in as well. The independence. Uh, speak to independence. You're kind of touching on that right now. Yeah. So how, how do you get that, that teen into that independent zone where they're making good decisions and living life in a, in a very independent way? We start really early on. Even a small child can make their own decisions within reason. With the girls, it was always a clothing thing. So we would, Sandy would say, well, you can wear this outfit or this outfit. Because when it's 40 choices, I can't decide. Well, yeah, you neither can your mother. I didn't add that. But you, it's either this outfit or this outfit they choose. We would go out to eat. And within reason, if they finished the meal, they could, they could choose what they wanted to eat. That's fair. If you choose something, you don't eat it, you're going to sit there and the rest of us are going to eat. All right? I'm sorry. You won't starve to death. Breakfast is coming. But anyway, when we could farm all four of our kids out... <laughs> hey, there's a new couple down the street. They're a biker couple. We don't know them, but you're going to be over there. To, I'm kidding. You, grandparents are wonderful. Uh, so when you're gone on a date, it also gives them a chance to be independent with someone else that you trust. Yeah. Uh, Christian camps are a wonderful idea. I think mission trips I mentioned before, youth group activities, uh, part-time job as long as it's earned. Even dating is good for independence as long as it's, it's reasonable and they've earned it. All those things just push them away from you. 
fostering independence in your child is so necessary as you help them gain those steps toward adulthood. And uh, it takes a lot of time and energy, but it's worth it, uh, believe me. And the conversation with Dr. David Clark has sure offered a lot of practical advice, uh, regardless of the age of your kids. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening today to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. think you needed your seatbelt on for the discussion today because Dr. David Clark has so many great insights and ideas to share that it was a lot to grasp. But it certainly was helpful to hear how parents can get the best out of their kids by following the fairly simple strategies that David mapped out. However, it may have all been too much to take in, so I highly recommend David's book, Parenting is Hard and Then You Die. The title is alarming, but the content is phenomenal. This book provides a biblical and comprehensive strategy for raising healthy kids in a world that is morally bankrupt, spiritually desolate, and increasingly dangerous. The strategy is clear and specific, rooted in the Bible, proved successful, and communicated in a fun and entertaining way. You'll find it at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. I'm so glad you could join us today for Focus on the Family Africa I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.